This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE IntelliNews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Aris, the editor of BNE IntelliNews. So, Alina, very nice to have you here. Um, you're just in from walking your dog in a sunny spring day, I think. Thank you so much, indeed. We, we had a good time. It's nice to be at home, actually. So um, what I wanted to do today, um, you, you're Chief Economist at um, IIF and have been following this whole crisis thing closely. Um, and what I wanted to do is do a bit of crystal ball gazing because we all know where we are. We're all locked indoors. We're all looking at uh, John Hopkins every day to see how the... Um, if the, if the curves are flattening or not. But what happens next? Because I still haven't been able to get my head around just how severe this is. If you're being optimistic, you can say, yes, we've got a virus. If you look at China's experience, and after about one and a half months, the, um, the infection stops spreading and they're just about to go back to work. And this could all be over by June. And then we all go back to work and things go back to normal. But of course, it's not going to be like that. Um, maybe we could start with the capital outflows. Uh, IIF has been reporting that we've had the biggest capital outflows on records, uh, and then maybe twice as big as they were in 2008. I mean, what is the actual scale of this crisis? Well, I think the, it is indeed bigger outflows and faster outflows than we have seen before. And um, I think the shock is just much more sort of propagated much faster than we have seen before. And I think that's what makes it unique. You know, in terms of the absolute numbers, we're close to, I think, minus 90 trillion on the emerging markets outflows. And uh, sorry, uh, minus 90 billion on the emerging markets outflows. But the issue is not even that. The issue is just how fast it is happening. And um, such a sudden stop in terms of flows to emerging markets just gives you in which countries there are underlying conditions in a way almost like the virus you know sort of hits you harder if you already were suffering from certain underlying conditions whether it's um, uh, creeping up debt Mm -hmm. or multiple exchange rate regimes um, or unsustainable exchange rate pegs or financial sector vulnerabilities linked to uh, your currency in of itself though uh, money leaving the market is not that destructive in so much as it can come back again I mean, we, I was listening to a webcast from the, the Vienna Institute for Economics, um, and they were saying the thing with public health crises is that they can be faster and much deeper, but then, provided they don't go on for so long, the bounce back is equally fast. And if you look at the, the Chinese PMIs that came out, in February, it collapsed to whatever it was, 35 point something, uh, biggest fall on record. But then the March one just came out and it bounced back to 50, which is not to say that they've made back all the the ground that's lost, but it it does make the point that, you know, once you go back to work, then the the bounce back is significant. And what Vienna was saying is the difference between a public health crisis and a financial crisis is that in the beginning, at least, it's a lot less destructive. You don't have Mm -hmm. bankruptcy, you don't have defaults. So in theory, in a month's time, all that money could turn around and we'll go back into the markets, you know, and there'll be increases in yields and, and interest rates in order to pay people to encourage them to do that. But is that a realistic scenario or am I missing something? 
Um, I think it is, it is very important indeed to differentiate between the two. If we were to model in a perfect world um, just a health crisis that lasts a predictable period, say a quarter, and as the governments uh, give support on the fiscal front for those who have to sort of coast it out, and then also the central banks give enough liquidity, in a perfect world, you could just have a, a perfect bounce back and potentially more as um, there is also pent-up demand that needs to be realized the subsequent quarter. Unfortunately, that is not always the case. And many companies or countries might not be able to survive this illiquidity for a quarter. Um, then you need to also overlay... ...being more cautious coming back and also the fact that we were, in many countries, slow with the shutdowns, right? The U.S. is still very haphazard in a way it's um, imposing the shutdowns. Uh, similarly to Russia, for example, big countries, uh, complex, uh, a lot of internal travel as well. And that could last much more than just one quarter in terms of the health crisis. But will it be, I mean, 2008 was extremely destru uh, uh, destructive because, you know, you, you had the defaults, you had the... Uh, people reneging on their debt and then that sort of leaves both a bad taste but it also leaves all these like broken assets these bad bad debts that need to be dealt with um but so far we we haven't had that i mean the the belarusians have said that they might restructure some of their bonds the ukraine of course is facing a potential default if this goes on too long into may when they have whatever it is two billion dollars to pay back to the ifis but none of that's happened yet um if isn't it a question of time? I mean, you, we, you, it's like the Russian people. I mean, the reason why Russia has always bounced back from its crises um, so quickly is that the individual debt is on the order of one or two months. And you can borrow that from friends and families to get through. But in the States, the average debt, household debt is about a year and that bankrupts you. And so that makes a big change. It's an irreversible change. Whereas if you have a little bit of, you know, you can borrow from your friends and family to get through the worst of it, then the bounce back's much quicker because you can pay those debts off equally quickly. That is very accurate. And I think that's where the differentiation needs to come in. You know, Russia is very different from the previous crisis. They have much stronger buffers, much lower financial sector vulnerabilities. And I think that's what the central bank has been emphasizing, that we're taking measures to help support real sector rather than last crisis when they were forced to take measures to make sure that we avoid a financial sector collapse. Um, so that is very different indeed. On Ukraine, I think the previous debt restructuring and IMF program has helped. Uh, it is a question of time. In other cases, you see countries already going to the fund because they cannot cope. Um, Nigeria made an adjustment, but they're applying for, for support. Uh, South Africa, for example, won't be able to give um, any healthcare support because they just don't have the money. The debt is already mm. unsustainable. So I think here this shock helps us differentiate between markets who were much more insured and prepared versus others that had underlying conditions. So there's going to be a, a really harsh sorting here that, that some countries that, you know, China, uh, Russia, that have big reserves, that have low external debt, they, they're going to be able to come out of this quickly and, and recover fairly fast. And the, the ill countries are going to suffer long-term problems. Uh, so there's going to be a, a real sorting here that the world's going to look very different after this. Is that what you're saying? 
I think so. I think that's incredibly true, and it matters in terms of first, what kind of actions policymakers are taking to contain uh, contain the pandemic. Second one is macro vulnerabilities, which ones did have issues into it, which ones didn't. And I think third, in terms of, again, the healthcare spending or ability to contain the pandemic, not only through the economic shutdowns, but the ability to increase healthcare provision um, so that you actually can take off some of the shutdowns mm. soon enough. For example, Germany is probably in a way, has been leading the way in that respect. And, and you probably know much more about that than I do. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, as she was saying on Twitter the other day, you've got to be happy to be in Germany. Uh, it's got over 100,000 infections now, but extremely low death rate because uh, they're just too tonic efficient. And we're not even on a, on a strict lockdown. I mean, people, the government is trusting its people to behave. And if you go to the shops, it is very organized. Everyone keeps their distance, uh, 10 people at a time. Uh, and as a result, the curve is flattening. I think it's doubling every 10 days now compared to somewhere like the States where it's doubling every 24 hours, 48 hours. Um, look, but isn't the scary bit of this then um, the potential for an international debt crisis? I mean, that's another difference between two, uh, 2008 and now is that just we've had like a decade and a bit of free money and everyone's availed themselves of that. And that's... If this goes on too long, then that debt pyramid that's been built up, couldn't it collapse? I mean, weren't you reporting that, you know, we've got historically high levels of debt, so there's massive amounts of debt. I mean, the Maastricht Treaty is supposed to cap it at 60. Nobody's at 60. Everybody's over that, closer to 100. I mean, isn't that all going, that house of cards going to fall? Well, we just exactly published a debt monitor at the, at the IAF, and that's um, a scary not a good night trading. Um, I think the big issue here is indeed that not only emerging markets, but also developed markets coming into this global healthcare, health, public health shock with very elevated debt levels. And in many countries, the household and corporate debt levels are also very high. Um, you can see the problems. We don't even need to go far. In Europe, a lot of member states are having difficulties to roll over their debt right now. They have to roll over roll over Italy, for example, very high levels, I think 30% of GDP some months, um, as is. If they would like to spend, like Spain and Italy have recently made announcements, they want to spend 20% of GDP, including with the private sector money, but nonetheless, you could say that this is also government guaranteed. Um, I, it's very hard to see how they will be able to do that on top of the existing stock of debt and at the current cost of funding. Um, so what so what happens, if, what happens if Italy defaults on its debt? I mean, what does that oh, that's like? a, If this were to happen, that would be a critical issue for global markets because it is a large country, a lot of, country, a lot of uh, uh, asset managers and banks are exposed to it. I think it's still a very unlikely scenario, but I think it is the scenario that uh, keeps European leaders uh, awake at night. And I think this Eurogroup meetings are definitely discussing options for burden sharing in Europe to fight yes. the pandemic? Well, that's the next question then, um, because the, the pandemics, by definition, are borderless, and the response has to be borderless as well. And the obvious go-to sort of uh, lender of last resort for countries is the IMF. 
Um, and we, I saw a note, I think, from you, maybe Capital Economics, saying that 85 countries have already applied uh, for help. And there's this, this RFI, this Rapid Financial Instrument, that's just been set up, 50 billion, for countries with low income um, to immediately give them some cash to deal with things like health and care equipment expenses. Um, and nine Eastern European countries are included in that, um, Ukraine being the obvious one. But um, the size of the debts, I mean, although I saw a note saying that the IMF could probably deal with all of the countries with economies of $100 billion or less, um, but, which is a lot of the countries, but then you just take someone like South Africa or Turkey, and those two would account for half of the IMF resources by themselves because of the size of their debt. I'm not talking about the big ones. And happily, China and Russia, who are the really big emerging markets, are not going to have to go to the IMF. But does the IMF even have enough money to help everyone? I mean, it can cope with Ukraine, which had, had $125 billion uh, GDP. So it sort of fits the rubric of, of countries that are eligible and the IMF can help them. But... If everybody comes, 85 countries come at once, um, then the IMF is not going to have enough money to rescue this. And then you go into that, you know, apolytic debt default scenario, don't you? I think the, the IMF is probably capable exactly of helping the countries that are most likely to turn to it first. And um, I think my first concern in this sort of crisis scenario, the global crisis scenario, would be whether IMF can uh, negotiate and respond fast enough. Because indeed, in some of the cases, the rapid sort of financing is appropriate and is needed for the healthcare crisis from the IMF and the, and the World Bank. Uh, but the issue is and that in some countries like Ukraine or South Africa, you also have other issues. And I think the IMF is likely to use this um, approach as leverage in order to push through proper programs for conditionality. And I think here the game could get complicated with both sides, in a way, bluffing um, uh, in the process of negotiations. And that's what concerns me more. In terms of the bigger countries, Europe is likely to sort out its issues by itself this time around without going to the fund. And I think that saves a lot of resources uh, mm. for, the, for the IMF. Um, the... Europe, um, as you said, I mean, again, in emerging markets, there's, you know, the sick and the healthy or the sick and the strong, rather. Um, and in Europe, there's the, the sick and the healthy. Um, however, um, there's been talk of creating some sort of, you know, COVID bond, a shared borrowing facility, so that within Europe, the member states can help each other. Because again, as a public health issue that, you know, you, you can't fix your own country. You can't, like Germany can't put its economy back on its feet and then have France, Spain and Italy not working, you know, as its trade partners. Um, it's within Germany's interest to make sure that all of the countries in Europe recover at the same time. And that argues very strongly for a, a shared financial facility. But again, I, I'm not a specialist on, on Western Europe. Uh, as far as I know, it, the, A, there's no such ex, uh, instrument, and B, under the current charter, that the, there's no way of doing it. You'd have to create something brand new. Is that the case? Oh, well, exactly. We need to put, separate the two. There is, a there is a global pandemic, and we need to find common resources to address that. Unfortunately, in the history of European negotiations, the sovereign debt crisis of, uh, is still very fresh, and I think that muddles up things a little. 
In terms of the available instruments, I think it was uh, Ricardo Reyes who made a nice article just recently saying that, look, every single person is discussing Corona bonds, but nobody is discussing the details. And it seems like everybody's sort of wishful thinking is placed into Corona bonds. We're not discussing which institution should issue that, uh, what kind of allocation of taxes or resources should be put into this institution in order to be able to repay those bonds. And he said, there's so much hope around it, you might as well call them James Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is very accurate. I think everybody has an opinion and um, it is hard to do Corona Euro bonds too fast. I, that's mm. why you also have talk of uh, using existing mechanisms. And I think the chairman of ESM already commented that they're ready to give ESM lending to these countries uh, without conditionality or very light conditionality. And I think that could be the first line of defense. Because, I mean, time is at the essence here. I mean, the corona has gone so fast and we can see that, you know, a two-week delay in, in, in putting your, your social distancing and uh, your stay-at-home orders in place makes a massive difference between, you know, Germany's infection rate of whatever it is, um, 0 0.01, um, and then somewhere like uh, Italy, where it's 2 3%. And the same is going to be true of the financing. Because as you said, I mean, you can go for only a certain amount of time without paying your debts, without paying your rent, without paying your workers, before you, you start getting into real trouble. So that these you know, financial rescue uh, mechanisms need to be made to work very fast. And there's no time for the EU to invent a new intra, uh, instrument, pass laws or debate it. I mean, the money's going to be made available now, hasn't it? Absolutely. I think it's positive that the authorities are being forced into reconsidering euro bonds or corona bonds. Um, I think that is very important, the common safe assets for Europe for the future as a structural issue. And we've never been closer to making this happen in recent history. And I think that by itself is fantastic. In the meantime, we do need to make this um, existing instruments work like the ESM. Uh, they can issue AAA they can help uh, subsidize, in a way, uh, cost of borrowing for these countries and therefore improve their debt sustainability. And let's see how the Eurogroup uh, meetings go and whether we have specific steps coming out of it. But I think we're very close from the ESM side, given the comments by the chairman of the ESM. So to sum up, um, in the short term, the, the sickest emerging markets, um, they can get help that they need from the IMF. And the IMF has the resources to deal with, you know, basket case for one better word. Um, but then if it snowballs, then we could get overtaken very quickly by the size of the crisis. And then the IMF as an institution um, would be unable to cope. Uh, and if it spills over into Western Europe, then again, in the short term, there are instruments with money enough available in order to deal with the short term problems. But are you saying that um, you're confident that that's enough to cope with this, to keep keep a cap on it or but we, we do I think on the on the European front I think I'm hopeful I wouldn't say I'm confident that, that that's enough I think we're making the right steps but we need to accelerate the the disbursements and uh, and the political debate needs to make <laughs> progress you know we need to stop bickering over exactly which mechanism we're planning to use and how and just start using at least existing mechanisms. So we haven't seen, for example, ESM actual lending happen yet, right? And, and Italy just announced that they're planning to spend 20 
percent of GDP in terms of support, does it mean that there are some behind the closed doors discussions ongoing that we do not know about and they got certain assurances? Or does it mean that they're trying to signal that, look, you know, we have no choice. We have a <clears throat> health, a public health crisis and we need to deal with it. And to ask a provocative question, I mean, if you compare the two crises, 97 Asia, the uh, then infected um, the emerging Europe uh, for the 98 crisis, and that ended up being a largely a emerging market crisis. And then there was 2008, which affected the whole world. But again, the bounce back took about two years. I mean, this crisis is, is similar to which of those two? I mean, it sounds like you're saying actually the emerging markets are in not such a bad position in so much as the resources are there to help them. And the, the problem here is going to be more like 2008, where the um, developed world is going to be affected. Well, I think um, it is comparable to 2008, but in terms of the actual numbers for growth, it will be much worse, most likely because of the shutdowns. And as you say, some of that will come back uh, in a couple of quarters. Uh, for the emerging markets, the issue is that they're coming into this crisis still somewhat less prepared than even 2008. Uh, because into, before, into the 2008, we didn't have such big debt imbalances in emerging markets that we're having now. And therefore, we don't have as much time to wait for this to subside. Also, we've seen many emerging markets out of tools to support their growth. You know, the, the last more than a decade of QE uh, went into emerging markets often for consumption rather than investment and improvement to medium growth potential. So we are not going to have strong growth numbers in some of these emerging markets, neither. So with high debt and low growth numbers, for example, again, South Africa, that is becoming to be an issue as well as the um, SOE debt. I think that's something that we need to keep an eye on, you know, even the Pemex. Organizations, and, yeah. Yes, as well as Pemex or, you know, ESCOM uh, NSA. Um, I think they borrowed a lot in the last decade, and that could be the sort of hidden vulnerabilities for governments in emerging mm. markets. And a very last quick comment, uh, your prognosis. I mean, that there is a possibility that the bounce back is relatively fast. And, you know, again, in looking at the forecast, a lot of people were saying the return to some sort of normalcy um, uh, within two years. But then there's also been talk of a great depression. I mean, which way is it going to go? I mean, what's going to happen in the next couple of years? I think it's, uh, there is something for, for everybody in here. Well, the, 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 you saw the unemployment claims. The, the numbers are horrendous, yeah. right? Well, nobody expects them to stay at those levels. So the bounce back from the worst numbers for example, the U.S., some say the range of the forecast for the second quarter could be between minus 10 and minus 40, quarter-on-quarter seasonal adjusted annualized, right? Mm. Minus 40. We're going to bounce back from minus 40. But uh, how far? That's, that's the big question. So the, the, the shocks to PMIs are much more dramatic, even than any other crisis we have seen in recent history. We're going to bounce back from those. Whether it will feel like a great recovery uh, to an average person, I'm not sure. And just one more thing that we haven't talked about is the income inequality. I think the income inequality aspect uh, will, will be a very important one, impact for populism, for voting patterns. People who, the, those who have not, are going to mm -hmm. suffer disproportionately in this crisis amidst the shutdowns. Um, and you will also see that in remittances, for example, to our countries like Ukraine mm -hmm. or, or Central Asia. Um, and again, that will exacerbate the income inequality in, across the world. 
So there's going to be big political repercussions from this as well. And yes, so that's what I'm most concerned about. And we haven't started thinking or analyzing that yet at all. Yeah, no, I've seen the debate starting, you know, for the, the universal income, um, which was around before this, but um, in, it's in effect in the moment. I mean, in Germany, the, Merkel was saying that people are going to get at least 60% of their income, you know, for the duration of the, the, the lockdowns. And the whole investment into public health um, systems. I mean, some people have shown themselves to be prepared and, and others much less so, but that's going to have to be rethought, I think. And, uh, and just things, simple things like pay for health workers. The, the estimation of those have gone up. But what it's going to do to politics, uh, I don't know. I think that's a subject for another debate, isn't it? Another, another discussion. Absolutely. And I think Germany is among those countries that is much better prepared in terms of healthcare, access to healthcare, and also ability to reach the more vulnerable groups with social support in the middle of this crisis. There are many countries who have no idea how to reach out to the sort of, uh, sort of people on temporary contracts, seasonal contracts, or fixed sort of part-time contracts. Mm. Great. Elena, I think at that point we, we leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. We should do this again. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.